0: As Pastor Josh mentioned a moment ago, today is our back-to-school Sunday. If you have been with us for uh, over the years, you know that normally we do this on Sunday night, and we just felt led that we want to uh, transition from Sunday night to Sunday morning because we really want to make sure that we pray over all of our students, we pray over all of our teachers, we pray over all of our the school staff and the school support team that all serve or volunteer, because we want to make sure that every person that is going to school this coming September, whether it's for the first time, the 20th time, the 50th time, that they go covered in prayer because we believe they are going to make a difference this year. Amen? And I l- I love what Pastor Josh said, that we believe this is going to be the best school year yet for all of our students. Amen. Uh, And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to close out our service. So just a few moments, we're going to open up this altar here. We're going to invite all of our students from first through 12th grade through college, those that are attending night school. Uh, If you're just going back because you wanted to volunteer, our teachers, our support staff, anybody involved in school, we're going to come and we're going to pray over all of you this morning. If you have your Bibles today, we're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 28 real quickly and then we'll move on. Uh, But Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, it's a very um, popular passage of scripture that we have here. I'm sure many of you, not all of you have heard it, but we're going to go through this real quickly. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I love that verse at the end. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here, that God, we could gather together here in the midst of your presence. And God, we just ask that you would speak to our hearts. Let us be receptive to your word today. God, I ask that you would use me, for without you I'm nothing. And we do this all for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we all pray. Amen. There's a very um, popular story, especially in the sports world, where uh, the famous Green Bay Packer football coach Vince Lombardi, uh, the beginning of the 1961 football season, 1960, the Green Bay Packers had come just so close to winning the championship, and so they had placed second, and so there was great expectation within the team because they felt, they believed that they had all the tools, all the means, all the resources to win the championship that season. Having been so close, having been so close to victory, they felt like this was their year, and so the very first day, of training, of practice, they are all there, the team is ready to go, and Coach Vince Lombardi walks in with a football in his hand, and he begins to tell his team of professional football players that had just come so close to winning the championship just a few months ago that the item he is holding in his hand is an American football. And he begins to explain that the American football is known in America because the game of football, the sport of football, is predominantly played in America, especially in the 1961. And then he continues on, he says, the game of football is played on a field that is 100 yards wide, or 100 yards long and 50 yards wide. And he begins to tell his team of professional football athletes who have been playing probably most of their life this game the fundamentals and the basics of football. As if they were people who had never experienced, never witnessed, never seen the game played before. So naturally, the players are sitting there like, what is going on? Does he know what's... We we just... We've played before. Does he know us? And, you know, they're all really confused. But Coach Lombardi had a very, very important reason behind it. Because he said true success even mandates an understanding of fundamentals. That you can't be successful if you don't have a solid and, and true grasp of the fundamentals. Of whatever you're doing. And I believe that is very true when it comes to the Christian faith. That if you and I don't have a grasp on the fundamentals, on the foundation of who we are and what we are called to do, then everything else we do will eventually become distorted. If a builder were to build a house and it were to be on unlevel ground, eventually as you build up, it's going to topple over because the foundation, the fundamentals, has not been properly laid. And for you and I as Christ followers, if we don't have a solid grasp on fundamentals, if we don't remind ourselves of our purpose and the reason that we do things and what we are called to do, then we're going to go in a direction we don't want to go. We're going to mess it up somewhere down the road. We're going to find ourselves out of order, out of line. We're going to find ourselves not doing what we are called to do. And so as followers of Jesus, we can find the fundamentals of our purpose our commission, our mandate in this verse that we just read in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. Let me read it for you again real quick. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So it's important that we grasp that, that you and I, we are called to go and make disciples, not just of some people, and I, I want to just real quickly, we're going to kind of quickly move through this to get further along this morning, but you and I are called to make followers of Jesus of all people, of all nations, no matter how old, no matter how young, no matter if they're male or female, no matter their background upbringing, no matter their cultural bringing, no matter their ethnicity, we are called to go and make disciples of all people, of all nations, and that we would baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we would teach them to obey. And we're going to come back to that in a moment. Everything that Christ has commanded us. And I just want to throw this in here. Uh, So we are called to be a witness, but you can't be a witness to something you haven't experienced or you haven't encountered yourself. Can I say that again? We are called to be a witness to Christ and what Christ has done, what Christ is doing, what Christ is going to do. But how can you and I be a witness to something you haven't encountered and you haven't experienced? That's like me coming up here and telling your story from my perspective. It just doesn't work. You're going to be like, yo, he got that part all completely wrong. That's not what happened. This is what really happened. And, so, and in the same way, if you were to try to tell somebody else's story, it just doesn't have the same impact. How can we be authentic witnesses if we haven't encountered and experienced ourselves? When I was in high school, we, um, I played on the soccer team. And in the summer, they would give us a list of things that we had to do. Uh, and it wasn't specifically like you had to run every day. It was just that you had to be able to run this amount of distance in this amount of time by this certain date. And so every single one of us that had signed up to be in the soccer team had gotten this, and I had it there, and it was summertime, and if you are a high school student athlete in the fall sports, you know the importance to train and condition, the, or you should do it. Some of you are like, I don't do that, and I didn't do it either. I had this assignment that was given to me, and uh, I had all summer to complete it, kind of like summer homework, same thing. I could tell you a story about that, too, but I didn't want to embarrass myself too much. Anyway, so I had this assignment to be able to run a certain, I think it was like five miles in like a certain amount of time, and it wasn't even difficult. It was just like, if you at least make an effort. I didn't make an effort. I sat on the couch. I ate food, did whatever I wanted, and all of a sudden, it was like two days before soccer practice started, and I was like, oh, no, I haven't run, and uh, I, I, I don't i don't know what to do, and so you do what anybody does. Uh, you show up and hope that no one's looking. And so I remember that day, uh, we had a, a scrimmage, and they just kind of put us out in the field, and they said, hey, all right, you're going to play. Let's go. And I was good. I'm like, all right, no one's going to tell. And I was good for like the first five, ten minutes or so, and, you know, occasionally I would just pray the ball don't go near me so I don't have to run, you know, one of those deals. But then at some point during the game, I realized, like, I'm tired, and uh, I can't keep up. And all of a sudden, my teammates would go to pass me the ball at a place where they thought I was supposed to where I was supposed to be and I wasn't there. And not because I didn't know, and not because I didn't think about it, but because I just couldn't get there because I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And eventually my coach looked at me and goes, Did you do what I asked you to do? And I looked at him and said, Yes. And he goes, Yeah, we know that's not true. You see, each and every one of us has a personal responsibility Here today I want you to get this that this message is not just for some of us this message is although it's back to school day It is not just a message for our students and teachers and school staff, but it's for every single one of us here So I don't want you to tune this message out because oh, we're just it's back to school is for the students I'm preaching and teaching and talking to everyone here myself included That each and every one of us has a personal responsibility to follow and fulfill the mission that God has given each and every one of us. We are all personally responsible to make Jesus known, to go into the world, and to make disciples of all people, of all nations. Can I tell you again? You and I are all personally responsible. Each and every one of us. I want to just share this real quickly, just a quick thought. But if you want to discover, if you're here, if you're young, if you're you're older and you're like, you know, I still haven't found what my purpose is, what my calling is. I don't know what I want to do in life. Can I tell you a great place to start is to go and live your life for Jesus and see that he will direct your steps. He will guide your path. And I can most certainly tell you this, that regardless of what you are called to do, regardless of your occupation, you and I are all called To make Jesus known. So if you're not sure where to go. Can I tell you a great place to start? It's to live your life for Jesus. And watch as he directs your path. I want to just share with you this. That. There are some studies that show. That only 7% of Christians. Let me just. Christians. not, not, Not youth. Not high school students. Not middle school students. Not. Elementary age students, not new believers, 7% of Christians, all Christians, share their faith by personal testimony, by witness, interaction, and invitation. Some studies show that only 7%, and I'm not saying that's here in this room. I'm just saying on a global, especially on a countrywide, 7%. And yet, 76% 76% of people that come to Christ do so because of a personal relationship, interaction, and invitation with a Christ follower. That while only 7%, so if you do the math and think about that, if the other 93% of us get our act together, can you imagine the, the growth and the expansion of the kingdom of God? Be encouraged that yet while only that 76% of people that come to Christ do so because of a personal invitation. Can I tell you that if you have family members, if you have friends, if you have neighbors, if you have coworkers that you have been praying for, that you have been asking God to move in their life, can I tell you that maybe, just maybe, I'm going to go on a limb here, that maybe He has called you to go... And do something about it. Come on now. To interact with them. To share with them. And to invite them. See, the church, we don't need more gimmicks, we don't need more programs, we don't need better systems, we don't need fancy lights, we don't need smoke, we don't need projection screens, we don't need this, that, and the other. But what we do need is we need men and women, boys and girls, young and old, who have been brought out of darkness, who have stepped into the light, who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to live on mission for the glory of God. And that we would fulfill what God has commissioned us to do. So, Jesus is speaking here and he tells his disciples to go. And I think sometimes we look at that go and it's like, all right, I'll go when I'm ready. Or, you know, oh, you know what, today's a good day to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go today and make witness. You know, I'm going to go today and I'm going to witness. You know, we think that go is very much like a when I feel like it or when I'm ready or when it's... You know, comfortable or when it's convenient for me, but that's not the go that Jesus is saying here. He's not saying, listen, you know, you should pick a day, you know, these days to go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, state, Saturday, Sunday off. No, he says, it's more like uh, as you go, as you live your life day in, day out, regardless of where you're at, as you are going through life, you should go and make disciples. That every sphere of your life, you should be a witness to the glory of Jesus Christ. That it shouldn't be just here. It shouldn't be just there. It shouldn't be when I feel like it. But in every season, in every area, in every aspect of your life, you should go and make Jesus known. You know, in Bethel Student Church, it's the student ministry here at Bethel. We meet on Friday nights, and uh, we, been, we talk about this a lot, and we just talk about representing Jesus. And I want to just share this with you sometimes, if you're a parent here, you're like, what would you learn in youth today? And you're like, nothing, you know, we just, so this is something we talk about all the time. It's like school. Do you, do you have any homework? No. Do you learn anything? No. All right. Um, we talk about this, though, is that. There are three ways. We ask, how are we representing Jesus? There's three ways. One, we are representing Jesus. We're living our life representing him. Or, we are not representing Jesus. We make no claim to represent him. We have no desire. We're just, you know, it's not for me. I don't want to do that. Okay. And then finally, and I believe that this is where we have, because of this, we've seen a lot of issues in the world. We misrepresent Jesus. In that we claim to follow Jesus with our words, but our actions show nothing otherwise. See, I think for a lot of us in here today, this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say that I think for either for us, we're either representing Jesus or we're misrepresenting Jesus. There may be some of you here, if you're here today, say, listen, I... I don't even know about Jesus, I'm just here for the first time, or I've been kind of looking and stuff. That's fine, you know, we just hope that you would just sit and that uh, you would just listen to what God is speaking to today. But for most of us here today, I believe that we fall on two avenues. We're either representing Jesus or we're misrepresenting Jesus. And let me just challenge you that it is our personal responsibility to live a missional life that doesn't misrepresent Jesus, is not representing Jesus, but represents Jesus On earth. So, how can we do this? How do we live our lives missionally? I want to look at another popular verse this morning Matthew chapter 5, 13 and 14. Jesus is talking to the crowds of men, women, and children, and he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything So, Jesus gives us two things that we are. He says, one, we are salt. We are salt to the earth. The next thing he says is that we are uh, light to the earth, like a city on a hilltop. And I just want to focus real quickly on these two things. But first, let's talk about salt. You are the salt of the earth. Now, salt. In biblical times, has a lot of usages, and if you've ever heard this passage before, I'm sure you've heard one or two, if not all these things. So I'm going to briefly just kind of walk through this real quickly. But salt, in biblical times, it was used for soil. It helped make the soil uh, more fertile. It helped the soil to be able to uh, produce healthy crops and to produce healthy um, grain that they would grow. And so that was something they would use in the soil. Salt was also used for seasoning. We all know that, and we all know that a perfect steak only needs salt and pepper, and if you say otherwise, you're wrong. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But it's used to flavor something. Salt was also used as a preservative, and so especially in that day and age where they did not have the wonderful technologies of refrigeration, they would cover the meat in salt to help preserve it so that way it would extend the life of the meat. And then salt was also used... For healing. And so they would be able to put salt into wounds and that would help the healing process take place. And so for you and I, I'm not going to dwell so much on this, but we are all salt in the same way, that we help create ground that is fertile. We should live our lives so the world would be cultivated to be receptive to the gospel message and the truth of Jesus Christ. We flavor society that 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 it would be palatable because as Christ followers, we provide a seasoning that gives flavor to the flavorless, just as Jesus says. That we, as Christ followers, we also play a role. That we are a preservative against the moral decay. You and I should live in a way that has a preserving effect against the sin in this world. That also, we should help bring healing to a hurting and broken world. That we should live our lives in a way that people can find healing in the person and power. And just as we sung a moment ago, the hope that is Jesus Christ. And then also, we should also live our lives just because we know that when you eat something too salty, you get thirsty. And so in the same way, we should live our lives that people would have a thirst and desire for God. So we are salt to the earth, but Jesus talks about something here. He says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. If the salt has lost its saltiness. I was hungry one day. And I had just come home from school, I think, or maybe it was the weekend, and I came home from being outside. And if you're like me, one thing I like to do is, regardless of if I'm hungry or if I'm not hungry, I could have just eaten the biggest meal I've ever eaten. And the moment I get home, I go to three places. I go to the refrigerator, close it. I go to the freezer, close it. And I go to the pantry and close it, and it's just always, and I, there's no, I could not even be hungry or thirsty, but it's just my, uh, first thing I go to, it's the instinct I go to, I go to the fridge, the freezer, and the pantry, and I just look and go, okay, you know, and sometimes I do take something out, so that day, of course, I do my normal, go to the fridge, go to the freezer, and I go to the pantry, and in there was a package of saltines. And I mean, we all love saltines, right? There's just something about them. Maybe only when you're sick. I just love saltines. There's just something about a good saltine cracker. And I remember I pulled the box out. I go, yo, I got a full sleeve. And, you know, I went to the fridge to see if there's like any pepperoni or cheese or anything. It wasn't, but I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to eat them anyway. And so I go and I eat them. And I'm like, I take the first cracker. And I go. And I'm like, what in the world is this? And I'm like. There's no salt on my saltine cracker. And I thought it was just like a mistake. You know, nowadays we get on our phone, we call the person, I'm offended that there's no salt on my salt. You know, you you know how we roll nowadays. But anyway, I was confused. I'm like, well, so I go to the next cracker and I'm like, there's no salt in this one. And I'm like, I go to, I'm like, dad, there, what's wrong with the crackers? There's, there's no salt on the saltines. And he goes, well, yeah, they're saltless saltines. And I'm like, what? Did you even know? Did anyone else not know that they make a thing called saltless saltines? Did anyone, like, that just sounds so, like, counterproductive. Why not just call them crackers then? They're saltines for a reason. Salt is in the name. And so I'm like, Dad, what's up? He goes, we, we just, we're a saltless saltine cracker household now. I'm like, get me out of here then. And so, but it was just so Oh, and, and it's just bland. And if you ever watch a cooking show and you ever watch any of that, like um, Chopped or Iron Chef or whatever else is on, what's the one thing they always tell you? Did you season it with salt? Always. The first thing they say, oh, this. you know what? You didn't season this with salt. They, like, they, they just know. Like, if, you're gonna, if you don't put salt on your dish before you serve it, you know they're going to hit you for that, right? Can I tell you that I think that the reason why we're encountering and dealing with the things in our culture and our societies because the church, Christians, Christ followers, we have lost our saltiness. And because we have lost our saltiness, what has happened? We are getting trampled on out here. If the church, if Christ followers would be salt, if we would be preserving, if we would bring healing, if we would be soil, if we would be seasoning, then we wouldn't be trampled on and we would see God move. But why should we be surprised that we live in a culture, society, the way it is today when we have lost our saltiness? Now, maybe one of, some of you are saying, well, people tell me I'm salty all the time. And let, me just, let me just give you real quickly here. This is just out of love that saltiness also has a negative thing. And so if people, especially young people, are calling you salty. It might not be because you're living for Jesus. It might be because you're holding on to some bitterness in your life, all right? But can we redeem saltiness? And can we be salty Christians, not in the negative, but in the, in the positive, that would see change take place, that we would be salt to the earth, flavor to the flavorless. Well, how do we, if, Pastor, if we have lost our saltiness, how do we regain our saltiness back? Well, I think if we look back at Matthew chapter 28, We'll see it. Jesus tells them to teach them to obey. Teach them to obey. I think a lot of times we do a good, decent job, we could always do better at teaching and communicating, but we don't do a good job in obeying. Can I say that again? We, we can do good in, in gaining information. In fact, we have information everywhere we go. Right now, all of you have your cell phones. You can go and look up all the information you want. You can have all of the knowledge that you could possibly desire thanks to Wikipedia. But how do we do in obeying? How do we do in obeying? See, it's not just about knowing the Gospel and the Word of God, but it's also about living it out and modeling it and exemplifying it. We have to move beyond knowledge and enter into transformation. If the saving power of the Gospel does nothing to your life, then all you have is knowledge overload. All we have are a bunch of fat-headed Christians, and we don't have fully transformed disciples of Jesus Christ you got to practice what you believe. you got to start obeying with what you know now. See, some of us are struggling and you're like, well, you know, if I just get more information, if I just learn more about this and learn more about that, or maybe I need to get to this class or I need to watch this person or listen to this podcast. And can I tell you, why don't you, before you get to there... Why would you fill yourself with more information you're not going to do anyway? Why don't you start with practicing the one or two things that has been taught to you since you were a child? If we can't figure this out, we're never going to get that figured out. Young people, if you're here today, I'm speaking to myself. If you can't be faithful with the early things, the first things, if you can't be faithful with those couple of things here, how is God ever going to entrust you with greater things, with greater responsibility? We have to start with being obedient. What are you not being obedient to? Because I can tell you that if the church of Christians would begin to be obedient with the things they believe, we would not have lost our saltiness. So we need to believe, we need to obey. Because to believe but not to practice is worthless. We need to get our saltiness back. And then in Matthew 5, he tells us, he says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now let's just be real quick here with this, and I think we all know this, but sometimes we need to remind ourselves this. It's not you that is bright. You are not the light. You are not the light. But rather, it is Jesus who is the light that is within you. So if Jesus is not within you, you ain't shining bright for Him. What does John 1 says? It says that Christ is the true light of the world for all of humanity. It's not you. It's not me. It's not this person or the other. It's not the person you see on TV. The person you hear on the radio. But it's Jesus within you. So if you don't have Jesus with you. If you are not abiding with Christ. Then you don't have light to shine. But if Jesus is abiding in you. And you have the light within you. Then you can go forth into the dark places. And shine your light. I'm only... You know, some of you will look at me and, and, and I acknowledge this, that I'm still young and I'm thankful for that. Uh, but even for someone at my age, I can't understand or sympathize with our students today. Because when I was a student just over you know, 15 years ago um, in high school, I didn't have to worry about my safety. I didn't have to worry about If I was going to be okay, if I was going to come home, I just had to worry about how I was going to convince my teacher that I was going to have my homework in tomorrow, or I had to figure out how I was going to get home from school in time to watch this TV show, or... To make sure that I didn't fail that test that I knew I already failed but that my teacher would have grace and mercy or that they would forget that they told us about the test and everything. Those were the things that I was worried about and I'm sure those were the things that you were worried about if you're an adult here. Maybe other things. But nowadays our students they have to pray and our teachers and those that work in our schools and serve in our schools they have to pray for their safety, their well-being They have to pray for God to guard and watch over their schools and to make sure that they are safe and protected. Can I tell you, it is a dark place. If you are called to be light in the dark place, you can't shine the light in the dark place if you're not going into the dark place. See, far too many of us think that, oh, I'm the light, we are the light of the world. We are to show and, and exemplify the light of Jesus that's within us by coming here together in this building. Can I tell you that the only time that we showcase the light of the world is in the walls of the church or in the walls of a building with other Christ followers, then who is shining the light in the dark place? We might not be of the world, but we are in the world. And we have been called to go into the world and to shine the light in the dark place. And can I tell you this? You might be the only Christ follower in your setting. You might be the only person that professes and claims to be a Christian. You might be the only person who is serving and seeking after God in your, in your offices or in your classroom. But can I tell you that even the faintest of light will illuminate the darkest of places. One thing... As we are still in the school theme, I remember every year, right before school, I would beg my parents to get me these clothes, to get me this wardrobe, and that I had to wear these clothes because this is what everyone else is wearing and this is what everyone is doing and they have to have these shoes and they have to have these pants and these shirts and so for me one of the things this is going way back was uh and I think it's still around but but Tommy Hilfiger was a was a big thing that we would all like everybody in my class would all wear Tommy Hilfiger if you didn't have the classic Tommy Hilfiger shirt you weren't cool right you know and and I don't know what parents, and my my parents, and and the generation of parents that were over my generation, but, like, what were you dressing us in? Like, I look at the clothes from when we were kids, and, like, we're wearing, like, fluffy, poofy, like, with little fluffy dot things, and kids nowadays, they look stylish. I'm like, man, I wish I could wear what they're wearing, right? But we had to wear it, so I begged my dad. I'm like, Dad, please, I need to get this shirt. And so one day I came home, my dad's like, listen, I got you this shirt. I'm like, what? I got you the clothes. I'm like... There, there's just something like, yes, I'm going to fit in. And I go upstairs, and I'm looking, and I'm like, and I start to realize, I'm like, wait a second. So I go to the computer, I turn the, the computer on, you hear the dial tone, you know, you know that internet tone, right? You got to dial it in. And I go and I I go to Ask Jeeves because, you know, Google wasn't a thing then. So I had to ask Jeeves and you asked Jeeves a question. What does the Tommy Hilfiger logo look like? Question mark, right? So after about like 10 minutes of like it, it, like loading, (laughs) I look and I see it's like red. I I don't remember what the colors are, but it was like, and I go and I, I grab the shirt and I'm like, I'm like, dad, come over here. He goes, yeah, what's up? He goes, what's wrong with this? He goes, what? Nothing. what? Nothing. The colors are backwards. And he's like, why? He said, the colors are backwards. He goes, oh yeah, I saw those shirts there, but they were like twice the price. So I got you these. And I got you like double the amount. I'm like, you can't do that. Now everyone's going to know. I'm not going to fit in with everyone. I, I, I'm going to stand out. Can I tell you, church, that we aren't called to fit in this world? We're called to stand out. Students, you are not called to conform to the patterns of this world, but you are called to stand out, to be an example, to be light in the dark place. God isn't looking for you to fit in, but he wants you to stand out for his glory. And can I tell you this? that as you go into the dark place, as John 1, five says, the light shines in the darkness, and I love this, and the darkness has not overcome it, and it will not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I'm just going to ask if the team would come up here, and in a moment I'm going to invite Pastor, he's going to uh, lead us in praying over our students from first through twelfth grade in college and night school teachers support team uh, anybody involved volunteering serving working in our schools but for students here today in the next week or two ten days i think someone said uh, you will be going back to school it's inevitable um, you can pray for snow but we don't live in a place where it's going to come some of you are college students, you're already back in school. I see some of our Kiafa leaders over there, and so they can attest to the schools are already beginning to um, be filled. Campuses are, are being filled with students. And you will, like most students, the night before classes start, and every day after that, or maybe the morning of, or You'll grab it from your dresser or your closet. You'll lay your clothes out or you'll grab from your laundry basket, what doesn't smell bad. You'll make sure your book bag has everything in it. You'll grab your lunch. Maybe your parents will bring your lunch because you forgot it. But regardless, you will begin the process of daily preparing for school. And let me encourage you and challenge you with this because sometimes we, we, we don't make it practical. Pastor, how can I be salt and light in the dark places. What can I do? Can I tell you one thing you can do? It's very practical. Paul shares it with us in Ephesians six eleven. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Students, teachers, Your enemy is not that student. Your enemy is not that teacher. Your enemy is not that principal. In fact, you are called to be a witness to that student, to be a witness to that teacher, to be a witness to that principal, to that classmate. But you are in a spiritual war. And it's not with flesh and blood, but is against the dark rulers of the world, against powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, and they will attack you. And if you don't daily put on the full armor of God, you won't endure. But if you do, if you put on the full armor of God, and can I tell you something about armor? I wish we had like a a full coat of armor, but we, we don't, and that's okay. But it's heavy, you know, because we are told to put on the belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness, boots of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. Sometimes that's hard to put on by yourself. You're trying to pick your shield up and your sword and you're like, oh, I got to, how do I get my helmet on? Can I tell you, parents, you should and you can help your students daily put on the full armor of God. That as they get ready each and every day, you can be with them and say, hey, do you have your sword of the Spirit? Do you have the helmet of salvation? Do you have the breastplate of righteousness? And that each day you would help them put on the full armor of God. And it may seem lame to them and they may be like, "Uh, but can I tell you that as you pray and believe over them, that each day they would go empowered, they would go covered, and they would go protected by God so that at the end of the day, they will still be standing. And so before I invite pastor, I just have four quick thoughts that I want to share with our students today. Just four quick little thoughts that I wanted to take advantage of this moment and just challenge you and encourage you with. Number one is this, students. Choose your friends wisely. 1 Corinthians 15, says this. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. Be careful with who you allow to speak into your life. That doesn't mean that you can't be sharing your faith with those that need to, but be mindful of those that you allow to speak into your life. Live your God... Number two, live your godly values with an attitude of humility. Live your godly values with an attitude of humility. Stand up for your faith. Live the values you know to be true, not what you feel. Listen, your feelings, they will lie to you. Your feelings, they will change. Your feelings are not always the same. Your feelings will not stand the test of time. There's only one thing that will, and that is the truth, the good news of Jesus Christ. The grass will wither, the flowers will fade, but the word of our Lord is enduring to the end. Stand and live your godly values, but do so with humility for even as Paul says that we need to speak truth in love because I can tell you, you can say the right thing and you can do the right thing, but you can do it and say it in the wrong way. So make sure you speak the truth in love. Don't compromise the truth that has been instilled in you, but share it in a manner of love. Number three, look for opportunities to serve people in a genuine manner. You and I are called to follow the example of Jesus And even Jesus, for the Son of Man in Mark chapter 10 says this, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Follow the example of Christ. Live to serve others. If serving is beneath you, then leading is beyond you. And we are called to lead this world to know Jesus. And so if you can't serve, then you'll never lead. And then finally, don't neglect your time in church. And parents, I'll tell you this, don't make church optional. Psalm 122 says this, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let us come together week in, week out. Let us have community and relationships that encourage each other, that also challenge one another and calls us out when we need to, to have that accountability. Accountability is not just encouragement, but it's also timely rebuking when we need it. And that we would gather together. That you would be encouraged. That you would be strengthened. That you would be, um, just that you would just have the the surrounding that you know, the support that you need to week in and week out. Because I want you to know this: you have a church that supports you, believes in you, and is praying for you. And then finally, hold tight to the promise that Jesus gave us all in his mandate, and I will be with you to the end of the ages. And you might seem like you're alone, you might seem like you're by yourself, you might seem like there's nobody else, but can I tell you this, that Jesus is with you through it all. And so at this time, I'm going to invite pastors, we begin, and we're going to pray over our students, our teachers, our school staff, and those that are
1: volunteering in our schools this morning. Hey, everybody, give the Lord praise here this morning. Amen. Bless God. Let's stand to our feet here this morning. And and I am, I'm going to call for all of our, first of all, let's have all of our students come. And so this is from kindergarten all the way up to college. If you are heading back to school in any form or fashion, all of our students, come on up. Just stand right across here at the front. Just come right up. How many of you are thankful for the next generation? Amen. Back in May, back in May, I shared with you, you know, that there was going to be a, a new focus in our church, and we're still trying to work it out. We haven't forgotten it. We know we are in a lot of discussions, and and uh, but we're in a renewed focus on the next generation. And how many of you again are thankful for each one of these? Precious young men, young women. The church of today, not of tomorrow. They're in the church today. Turn your neighbor and tell them they're the church today in Jesus' name. All right. Now that we got our students down here, all of our educators, if you work in the education system at all, teachers, if you are uh, helping, however it is, you come and you stand with them as well. And how many of you are thankful for? precious teachers and men and women that pour into our children, students. Amen. Bless God. Amen. We're going to pray for all of them. And, uh, but I just want to share this one, and this is for all of us really, but, uh, uh, you know, the Lord just really was putting this on my heart this week uh, in my own devotions. I read this and many of you know the story of, of, uh, uh, Abraham and Isaac and if you he's waited for so many years for Isaac Isaac now is probably uh, at, at least 17 18 years old he might even be older than that and Isaac is going to carry this dream to fulfillment. Abraham had not had any other children um, that were given to him by God. And this is the promised child. And God says, now you take up Isaac and you offer him as a sacrifice. And this was to test his heart. And of course, God stopped. He would never have a child uh, sacrifice. And he stopped him just as he's ready to offer him up. And he says, now I know that you serve me and and me alone. You fear me and me alone. But listen to what he says. I love this. He says, by myself, this is God speaking, I have sworn, says the Lord, because there's no one greater than me, I'm swearing by myself, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Listen, blessing I will bless you. Multiply and I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven um, and as the sand which is on the seashore. Now listen to this. And your descendants shall possess the gate of the enemies. I love that. And you see, he, God is looking far into the future. And he says, your descendants will possess the gates of the enemy. We are the descendants of Abraham today because it is through Christ that we are the children of Almighty God. Can you say we're the descendants of Abraham? Amen. His prayer was, they will possess the gates of the enemy. Remember what Jesus said? Many thousands of years later, Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In Jesus' name. You students, you teachers, you are possessing the gates of the enemy. You are on a mission field. You are in schools, and the enemy would love to corrupt this generation, but it is up to you to possess the gates of the enemy, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Can you stretch your hands out towards each one of these precious young men, young women, and our teachers? And let's just begin, even before I pray, can you lift up your voice right there? Lift it up nice and loud. Let them hear you praying for them today in Jesus' name. Come on, there are 700 people in this room. We could be praying a lot louder than that. Lift up your voice in Jesus' name. All of you students, all of you teachers, lift up your hands to the Lord here today in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Our precious Father in heaven, we thank you for the word that we heard today. And Father, I pray that each one of these students and each one of these parents that heard the word today... That they would realize that as they step onto their campus, as they go into their schools, as they go into each and every classroom, that Father, no weapon formed against them can ever prosper. You are building them as the church in such a way that even the gates of hell will not prevail against them. And that as they go forward, greater is He that is in them than he that is in this world. And that they can possess the gates of the enemy and the enemy can do nothing about it. I pray Father, first and foremost, for all of those who are being educated and those who are educators. I pray Lord, Your protection upon them. We know that there is a lot of violence in our school systems today. We pray the hand of God's mercy and grace would rest upon them and that you would protect them physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually for the glory and the honor of God. That you would bless their going in and that you would bless their going out in Jesus' name. Lord, I also pray for Your provision upon them. I pray that You would provide for them emotionally, mentally, spiritually, financially, that, Lord, they would seek Your face early in the morning before they go out And that, Lord, they would know that everything that they have need of has been provided by the hand of Almighty God. And as Pastor Brian shared a few moments ago, I pray that they would not look for their provision to be made by anyone in this world, but that, Father, they would recognize that the hand of the Lord has provided all things that are necessary for them in Jesus' name. And then, Father, I pray that your power... would rest upon their heart and upon their life. And that they would not go in their own strength, that they would not go in their own might, but that they would go in the power of Almighty God. And Lord, as much as we want to see revival take place right here at Bethel, I would be even more excited if revival began to break out in our middle schools, in our high schools, in our colleges, in the campuses, Lord. I would love... For our schools to be absolutely set on fire by young men and young women who go in and say, We serve the living God Almighty. So I pray that our young men, our young women would make a stand that they would not bow down, that they would have a a love and a compassion in their heart, but may they never compromise. May they live it out for your glory and for your honor. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Give the Lord all the praise in this house. Come on, give Him a shout of praise. Bless the Lord, bless the Lord. Can we lift our hands in this house here, all around? Let's worship the Lord. Hallelujah. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. Hallelujah. We magnify.